Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of insights and tips for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Today's guest is Catherine Newton, the CEO of Are You OK? As many of you would know, this is a cause very close to my heart. Back in 2009, I helped Gavin Larkin to launch it and remain a current board director. Catherine started her career in the insurance sector, and it was actually a volunteer period with Lifeline where she acted as a telephone counsellor, which gave her real insights about how many lonely people there are in Australia and how many women live with domestic violence. This proved to be a real pivotal career experience and led to a career change where she joined White Ribbon. This was a group whose core mission was to stop domestic violence against women. She then joined Are You OK? as a campaign director and became CEO just over two years ago. It's amazing how Are You OK? has grown so much in reach and impact. And Catherine gives some insights about how a relatively small team can make such a big impact. This year has been particularly tough for many of us because of the uncertainty related to the pandemic, and Catherine is no different. She talks honestly about being separated from her family in the UK, but also talks about conscious self-care strategies she does to keep herself well. She believes the core having a great team is good listening skills and regularly asking each team member what they need from her. And she's found that, not surprisingly, different people require different support. She knows that it's really important to have a strong vision and purpose and really embraces Are You OK's core tag that a conversation could change a life. She explains this year's theme, which is, are they really OK? Ask today. And this is just encouraging us to go a little bit deeper when someone gives an answer, yeah, I'm fine, but you think that they're not. Catherine is really passionate about the importance of looking out for our loved ones and for ourselves and really shares some great messages. Enjoy. It's a real pleasure to welcome Catherine Newton, CEO of Are You OK Today? Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Graham. It's a pleasure to be here. It's, um, it's been a joy getting to know you over the years. I've been with Are You OK? and, and having your friendship and support. As, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, been a, it's been a good journey thus far, hasn't it? It really has. And it's been lovely having the last five years with you. There's been so much uh, change, so much evolution, you know, just the pandemic alone in the last 18 months. Hasn't that thrown everything into, uh, into turmoil? Absolutely. I think that when I signed up for CEO, I definitely didn't sign up for leading through a pandemic. So it's been an enormous, um, enormous growth period for me too, which um, I'm not sure I was always grateful every single day, but um, but, <laughs> um, but feeling good now. <laughs> Excellent. Catherine, what does care in the workplace mean to you? To me, it means uh, being genuine. I think if you're if you don't genuinely care, if it's not something that's within you, I think it's very hard to cultivate. And I think it's something that's very hard to, um, to, to demonstrate and people will see through if you're not um, 
authentic with it. And I know, Graham, that authentic comes up a lot with our work in Are You Okay? Mm. Um, but I think care is something that is, you know, as human beings, you know, it's a bit hard. Of course, we've, of course we've got care towards strangers. And if someone's in distress, then we can help them. But care is so very much about keeping our close relations close um, and in the workplace. How do we manage those acquaintances, uh, those boundaries, those relationships and those friendships? It's, it's a bit different, but I think, it's, um, I think care still absolutely needs to be there. Yeah, and with your team, they're obviously in it for, you know, great reasons, wanting to make a difference, but is there anything you consciously do to help, uh, you know, engender that culture of care? Definitely. So we've got, um, we've got very much a, uh, I'd say, an open book as a team, so very much um, encourage people to let us know if you just need some time to yourself, if you just need a bit of that break or whether you're... Um, whether you're really needing a good a good brainstorm session or a good chat to really be open with each other about what's going to work best for me today and i think that when you have that openness and 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 you demonstrate that we're all human we're all going to have our good days and our bad days we're all going to really perform well some days and other days we're not and it's okay to acknowledge that and i think that if we can if we can have that that genuineness and that openness, then we get to know each other a lot better because I think those layers are peeled back. I think, you know, COVID has, has shone such a light on, um, on workplace culture in that, of course, when we zoom in to people's homes, it's, I think it's really helped leaders and managers to understand that home life doesn't stop at the work door or the work screen. And so having, having that openness amongst the team, I think really forges stronger stronger um, mateship in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been some challenges, hasn't there, with COVID, where there's, there's natural separation, people work from home. How have you tried to keep it going? What's, what's been the challenge and what have, what have you found has worked in terms of um, keeping the group connected? 100% the best thing that's worked is asking them what's working mm-hmm. and what's not. So mm-hmm. what would they like? What do they need? Um, we get together on a, on a Zoom call um, every week. And so at the start of that, we do something silly like show and tell, you know, I'll set like a, a challenge to bring something to the, bring something to the table, show us. And, and we often ask for it to be, you know, a memory or a story or something that prompts something in our personal lives. And I think that helps to get to know that person better. And of course, that will then lead to other conversations or that might be an idea for this campaign or this resource. Um, And what I've just done throughout um, the working from home environment is to just keep on checking in with them, having calls um, just to say, I'm not calling about work and to see if this has been done and to see how you're going with this project. I'm just seeing how you're doing. Is there anything I can do to help? And are um, are those team meetings working for you? Yeah. And have you had any surprises in terms of what people have asked for? Not in terms of what people have asked for, but I have been surprised. The people who I thought would be okay with working from home and enjoy it, a couple of them haven't. And that surprised me because I thought um, I thought I could, you know, I thought I knew these personalities very well, but I didn't take into consideration the, um, I think, just the different um 
needs and wants of people when they're in a working environment. I know, of course, that we connect better face-to-face. I know we have good banter. I know that often the greatest ideas are when we're having those moments, walking for a coffee, walking to the bathroom or, you know, those off-the-cuff moments. But I, I really thought that some of the team would enjoy the quiet, peace and quiet at home. And actually, they they thrive better in a, in a busy face-to-face environment. So um, for me, it's about acknowledging that and making sure that I check in with them more yeah. to see how they're going and what's working for them. And Teams, you know, Microsoft Teams has been really good. So people just keep that on and people just, you know, have a quick check-in and a quick joke and a quick grab a cuppa together as it's needed. And do you think it's, uh, in terms of relating to those that love it and those that not so much, do you think it's as simple as extrovert, introvert, or not really? That's what I thought. And this has really taught me about um, introverted extroverts, which mm. I think um, which I think is a little bit of what I am. So I would, mm. you know, consider myself an energetic person. I would consider myself someone who um, who, who doesn't struggle with, you know, with, with personal and, and relationship connections. I'm very much a people person. But what this has taught me is that I do actually need my, my time at home to recharge mm. my batteries mm. and then I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it's been interesting that a couple of us in the team have realised that about ourselves, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's I think it's helpful, and maybe it might have been different in my twenties or my thirties, but I think now this is where I'm at, and yeah, I'm embracing it. Yeah, very good. It's funny my wife manages a very large research team, and there's quite a few introverts in there. But they still enjoy um, just being around people, not, not necessarily talking or interacting, but um, just having that presence of people around. And uh, she was a bit surprised by that as well. She thought that, um, you know, they'd be very happy working from home. Um, but there's definitely something that happens in a physical space, isn't there? Mm. 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 Definitely. Now I can relate to what she's saying there. <laughs> For the purpose of our listeners, can you just explain how you got to where you are today? Just briefly. Of course. <laughs> of course. I, um, I, my career was in insurance, so I came straight out of college and went into um, and fell into a job in an insurance company and uh, transferred over here. And um, I really enjoyed the general management, operations management side of things. But I was... Um, I was uh, working a lot and I realized that I hadn't volunteered and hadn't done anything for charity for some time. And I was thinking about what might be um, what might be around and what I may be useful at. And I've always seemed to be that person, which I now understand is what we call an accidental counselor. It's that person who people tend to share things and come to you and you have, you know, you have good chats. And so counseling was um, something that interested me after my, um, after uh, uh, doing psychology at college. And I saw the Lifeline Telephone Counseling course in my local paper. It was um, it's a six-month course, and so it was something to very much get my teeth into. And I always share that my you get put into groups when you start the training, and my particular um, mentor for my group sat down and said, this is going to change your life. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's, like, I'm sure it's going to be really good and I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm not quite sure it's going to change my life. But look at me now. It absolutely did. There were... Um, Goodness, it taught me so much about listening. It taught me so much about empathy, really opening my eyes, non-judgment, um, and really how to listen and help support people. Um, I can't fix the problems, but I was certainly there to help support and to listen and guide. 
And I wondered if my skills would transfer into the not-for-profit space. And indeed, indeed, it, it seems that they have. So I, <laughs> I, um, I took a role at White Ribbon, so mm-hmm. preventing men's violence against women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then five years ago, the role of campaign director came up with Are You OK? Um, and I was lucky enough to, um, to, to be given that position. And now, of course, in the CEO role, which is so, um, so rewarding and, and humbling and so proud. So I think um, it's definitely been a journey that I'm, I've really enjoyed and I'm so grateful for. And I just love prevention. I really love prevention work. Um, there is so much that's needed in the service sector um, and support services, the funding, the resources, everything. I'm so supportive of that. But I do like to try and stop things um, mm. before they happen or at least try to stop small things getting and um, becoming big things like the words of our late founder, Gavin Larkin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when you work, how long did you work for as a lifeline counsellor? I was on the phone for just under two years. Two years. And what did you learn about people and about Australia through that experience? There were two types of calls that I was really surprised at hearing. I was really surprised at the number of women in abusive relationships. I luckily had not been exposed um, exposed to that challenge and I, and I was really shocked and surprised. So that was certainly the first thing. And then the other were, was the, the need and the desire for people to want to tell someone what was happening and what was going on, but mm. just that real stigma, that real, there's a, you know, a lot of shame, mm. um, a lot of, of feelings of I don't deserve to be, you know, to get any help. There are people so much worse off than me or I really am, um, I just, I know that they'll see me as weak. Mm. And I was thinking, goodness, you know, when, um, you know, when people sadly take their lives, we hear so often that there are hundreds of people at the funeral, lots of friends and family who mm. said, you know, I was here. Why didn't they reach out? I would have helped. I would have listened. But I think that stigma is really there. And and that's what I'm hoping that we're contributing to, um, you know, breaking down that feeling of it is weak to be challenged. It is weak to be going through things. And, and also learning that people thrive with mental illness. People thrive going through their challenges and it is possible to have, um, to have that thriving lifestyle, but it does take that, that village, that community, that family to accept and understand what's happening. Um, also learned that Aussies are very much into mateship. So very much into wanting to look out for each other, but sometimes perhaps not so good at putting up that mirror to mm. themselves to, mm. to recognise that they need help. Yeah, very true. And uh, White Ribbon had a great purpose and made quite an impact. And what was what were some of the insights you got there? Because I, as I understand it, you just mentioned you got some really good insight when you're on, on the phone on Lifeline to then... I guess, trying to grow campaigns, was it easier or harder than you thought to get things off the ground there? I think it was harder than I thought because, um, because it's, such a, um, it's, it's, it's such a common um, form of behaviour um, in Australia, and it does go towards uh, men as well as women. Mm-hmm. Uh, White Ribbon's role is to prevent predominantly men's violence against women. I found it hard because I think it's a very challenging and confronting topic. Um, it's confronting, um, of course, this is absolutely, of course, it's challenging and confronting for the people experiencing the abuse, but for the bystanders, for those close to people to be able to 
to bring up the conversation to be able to share I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. I can see that something's happening. And the, the way in which we approached it is that if the violence is being conducted by men, then we should be engaging men to stand up alongside other men to say this behaviour is not on, this is not what's right, this is, the you know, where can we go to get you some help? And I think that um, I think that it's come so far um, in domestic violence and family violence, particularly in the workplace, you know, mm-hmm. with um, we've got leave policies now, we've got a yeah. lot more understanding and a lot more openness. And I think that that is just testament to the decades of work that have that have happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we are where we are. But I think there's so much more, so yeah. much more work to do. One of the uh, people I interviewed previously was Chris Sutherland, and he was the CEO of a large group called Programmed. And he went to, I think they had about 25,000 employees, and he went to see uh, Rose Batty speak and just came away from there and said, we, there must be something that we can do. We're 25,000, we're a country town, this is sure to be going on here. And in a very, very short period of time, they released this policy, which I think was pretty amazing. What what he basically said when they launched it was that if anyone's experiencing this, the full resources of the company are behind you, financial, legal, transport, security, everything. And he, two of the people on his executive team were female, two were male, and um, they were the contact people, not not uh, HR, work or safety. They were the contact oh, people. Yeah. It was a one-page document, and um, and in the first week, there were six people that, or six women that came forward, and mm. they were able to put it into practice. And it just um, seems, and it was uh, so successful, and that you see many, many groups, particularly the federal parliament, where they just sort of agonise over it and don't get anything happening. But uh, this, um, Mm. you know, he even got pushback from some of his employees to say, oh, we've got to put a cap on it, you know, so many dollars or something. Mm. He said, no, no one's going to fudge domestic violence. And, uh, you know, I just thought that was a great example of really doing something really constructive, but also simple. um, Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's a show, and it's showing um, it's showing those that who are experiencing the violence that they're believed, which is quite often uh, the most important thing. I, I believe you. I, I, I believe that this is happening. How can I help? Mm. Yeah, yeah, very much. And I guess by you know having those four people from the executive team showed that they were taking it really, really mm. seriously. Mm. It must have been disappointing when white ribbon folded. Why do you think that was? I think there's a number of um, a number of factors why um, why White Ribbon no longer exists in the capacity that it did. Um, I'm really pleased that it's been taken up um, by the new organisation, and I really hope that the um, that the White Ribbon continues as a symbol of hope for those who are experiencing it and those who really stand up against it. I think that um, I wasn't with White Ribbon obviously when it, um, mm-hmm. when it ceased to be as it was, so I can't really comment on the on the on the direct reasons, but it's certainly, certainly not for, for people, you know, stopping um, stopping the support or, or not wanting to believe in it or to, or to see it grow. So I'm really, I'm really pleased to see that it is continuing. Yeah. 
You started as a campaign director for Are You OK? And part of that was this big road trip. Would you mind just uh, telling people who may not be aware what exactly that involved and um, what you saw on the way that you just um, had never seen before? Oh, my goodness. Well, practically everything because we got to see us. I was so lucky, so privileged and lucky to be able to see many parts of Australia that many Australians don't. So I am. Um, they're called the Conversation Convoys, and they're a way for us to, to connect local people with local services using the, um, the, the simple question of are you okay? You know, lots and lots of Australians know are you okay? So it's about bringing that known message into a community where we're invited. So it's where we reach out to schools, we reach out to workplaces, local community groups and say, look, would it be helpful if we come through town, put on an event where we can bring people together um, and also a chance for local support services to network and see what each other's doing and really to um, create a safe space for people to come along and say, look, I'm worried about someone. What can I do? Talk through conversations. Um, but what was really surprising about the conversation convoys is that I think the best, some of the, some of the best conversations actually happened on the road so on bathroom breaks going into petrol stations going into the local pie shops and and they particularly happened um with men so i think it's because um you know there were quick quick conversations where they were not a counseling session we weren't going to take them anywhere it was literally i mean i've just got out of an are you okay car and um and people would say you know i haven't been doing so well I've split up with my missus or I've, you know, or my, uh, I've just lost my job or I've got some finance troubles. Um, but look, I, ha- I have got a mate and he's been really good and he's helping me out. So thanks for what you're doing and keep going. It's really helpful. And then, and then they'd be on their way and you think, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you would, I would love to keep on chatting, but it was very much, I think, because there was an exit point. It was very um, short and sweet. And I think that there's a, a lot of resilience um, out there um, in amongst regional and rural communities. And I think that whilst there may be more stigma, the communities just come together. I mean, just local people supporting local. It's just, yeah, demonstrated in, in folds. Yeah. And I remember you also came across some quite um, tragic sort of circumstances. There was a, a small town that where there'd been three people take their lives, uh, which must have been quite uh, extraordinary, you know, for such a small group. Were there other places like that as well? Yeah, certainly. Unfortunately, um, you know, there are there are towns that experience clusters and regions that experience clusters of suicide. It's um it's really important that Are You Okay chooses, you know, that we choose the right moment to go into a community when there's been um, loss. It's important that we, you know, that. You know, we want to do no harm, so we don't want people to to feel guilty about perhaps not asking or perhaps spotting the signs of struggle. So the timing of when we come in is really important. And when it's a time where people are, are making their way through the grieving process, it can be really empowering for them to bring other members of family, friends, community groups together to say, look, let's try to prevent another tragedy from happening here. So lots of really heavy, sad conversations, of course, um, but always with hope, I would describe it as. Yeah. So you started as campaign director, then transitioned to CEO. What um, what did you expect about taking on that role? Were there any surprises that you hadn't anticipated? 
Yes, COVID-19. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I became Lucy in April 2019 yeah. um, for July and August of that year. Um, in the lead up to IUK Day that year, I was on the road for nine weeks. So an incredible amount of learning and experience there, you know. Um, gosh, so many stories, so many moments that just, you know, really opened my mind and really helped me to... Um, to reinforce the power of listening to the community's feedback. So the feedback of those um, who are struggling, the, pe- the feedback of those who are supporting someone, the feedback of those who don't really know us and don't know what we do. Um, mm. I think it's really important to continually evolve mm. and measure, and you can only do that by listening. So really, really um, had that reinforced during that year. And then when COVID hit in, in March, I, you know, i I felt as though, you know, goodness, um, mental health is so important right now. Um, what can I be doing to really walk the talk to make sure that I'm, I'm demonstrating that leadership to my team and the wider masses? Mm. If you believe like we do that a leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together, you may be interested in these three free resources we've provided at our website, Factor C. The first one is the We Care Credo poster, and this contains the mindset and values of teams that prize self-care, crew care, and red zone care. The second resource is a poster called How to Support a Teammate in Distress, and this provides easy-to-follow instructions on how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the Are You OK conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help that they need. And the third resource is a Building a Mentally Healthy Culture checklist. And this provides items to think about before you launch an initiative, how you do a great launch, and then thirdly, how to keep the momentum going following the launch. These three free resources can be found at factorc.com.au. What do you think of the foundations for really great teams? Definitely, as I mentioned at the start with the care, definitely the genuineness. I think um, being authentic in your um, in your leadership. Now, that doesn't have to mean that it's always yellow and fluffy. Um, of course, there are um, there's managements, there's skills that we need, and there's boundaries. But I think it's important to to lead and to work alongside people with that element of of genuineness and openness. I also think that. Um, I think that nipping things in the bud is a really, a really big piece of it. So if you can see someone's unhappy, if you can see that something just isn't working for someone, don't let it fester. Don't let it bottle up. Mm. Sit down and just say, look, I can see this is what's happening. How can we change this? What's needed? Because this is where, where I'm coming from. I see where you're coming from. How can we meet in the middle there? Mm. But I think if you don't have that as business as usual, that's that kind of practice. And if you don't have that, um, that that natural way of engaging with them um, with your team, then that's going to be very difficult. So I think if you can build those foundations, then then the productivity is going to be high because you're going to be able to work out um, the challenges and the, and the successes as you go. Yeah, how do you make it safe for people to bring up problems? 
I think it's all about sharing your own problems. So, you know, not, not, you know, of course, personal walk the talk, you know, show that vulnerability as and when you feel confident and comfortable to do so. But, um, but you're not supposed to have all the answers, you know, we can't all go through life having a, you know, always on the ups without problems. And so I think if you're open to say, look, I've got this issue, I've got this problem. I don't quite know how to tackle it. This is what I'm thinking. Does anyone else have any thoughts or ideas on this? Then that opens it up to be that business as usual for people to to, to mimic that behaviour or to at least start to bring in elements of that behaviour. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've all we've all we're all going to face problems and challenges. Yeah, and, and I think it is a really you know fantastic thing for leaders to say they haven't got all the answers and they have their own struggles as well. And um, you know, one of the lovely things about this uh, series of interviews is just finding real humility, I think, in many of these high-performing leaders. You know, they're just, uh, they're honest. Um, you know, I, I think I may have mentioned uh, Mike Schneider at one stage, and he has the four H's of leadership, honest, humble, uh, helpful, and happy. They're his four H's, mm. which I think are, are, really, uh, are, are really good. What do you do if you one of our, um, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to share with you, of course, our friend um, uh, Brendan Marr, the former CEO of IUAK and now at Movember. He, um, I'm really trying to continue um, something that he, he taught me is that we're in the trenches together. So yeah. whilst I might not be on completely the same page as you or I might be thinking that we could tackle something a bit differently, if we've had a discussion and we've agreed that this is the path that we're going down, then I'm in it with you. Yeah. That there is no point in us trying to find ulterior motives or go off in our own way. If we've agreed, then then that's what we'll do together. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I'm really, um, really learning a lot from that. Yeah. What do you do for self-care? How do you keep fuel in your own tank? I'm a big walker, not as big as you, Graham, because I know that you do. <laughs> you do lots of your hikes and the treks, but I really enjoy um, enjoy a good walk by the ocean. So I think I'm a bit of a water baby. So having that, um, just having that that fresh air and um, seeing that expanse just really helps to, yeah, helps to, um, I guess, kind of move through things. Yeah, yeah. So walking and swimming is that ocean swimming or in a pool or Yes, it is ocean swimming, but I do say it's not actually, I'm not a very particularly good swimmer, so I would say it's more of a dip, <laughs> ocean dipping and walking. You're not one of the bold and beautiful of manly, are you? Swing, swing no, I'm beach? not, and I feel, <laughs> no, I'm not, but I, I envy them and admire them every time I'm walking alongside them as they're swimming. <laughs> I didn't, um, didn't grow up, grow up very close to water, so I am, um, yeah, freestyle is a bit of a challenge for me, and I think you definitely need that for the bold and the beautiful. <laughs> Yes. You mentioned um, Brenda Maher previously and a really important message you've learned from him. What other people have you learned from in terms of your leadership and it's been a guide for you? I think that um, I've had such wonderful, wonderful bosses throughout my career. Um, I, I think the, the, the humility came from um, my uh, my manager when I was in insurance company, she was a, a female leader um, at a time where there were not many around and that humility and that um, genuineness really shone through, that person-centred approach really shone through there. And then um, and then my um, 
my boss at an insurance company where I came over to Australia had such energy and, and still does, has incredible pace. And he really taught how to, you know, just go for things, just give it a go, tackle it, do it with energy, um, do it with passion, and you'll figure it out along the way. So lots of really good guidance. And I think that um, my dad actually gave me two um, two pieces of advice that I always um, always consider, both professional and and personal. One of the well, the first was um, just give thirty seconds. And what he meant by that was when mobile phones came out, <laughs> and when I got my driver's license, it was you know just give us just think of us just thirty seconds. We just need to know that you've arrived, that you're there, that you're safe. It you know it doesn't take you a lot, but it also helps us feel better. And so I always think now in my role at Are You Okay, and what we hope that people do is to give that moment to people to think of others and it doesn't have to be very rehearsed very formal very long it's just you know think of somebody else and how they might be feeling and the other he said was reduce the risks wherever you can so regardless of if it's work or travel or something else just just think of the risks and try to reduce them as best you can and you know you've done your best they're very very practical tips aren't they <laughs> they are indeed he's a practical man <laughs> We're not far out. We're only about six weeks from our UK date, 2021. Can you just let people know about what the theme is this year and why you and the team chose that theme? Of course, yes. The theme this year is, are they really okay? Ask them today. And we've come to that theme, the, the call to action this year is to consider, do you really know how the people are going in your world? Because chances are there's going to be someone who might be struggling, particularly at the moment. We all go through life's ups and downs. So sometimes when we get that response that says, I'm fine, or we're just given a real surface level tokenistic, hey, how are you going? Just dig a little bit deeper. Um, it's very much around finding a moment to make it meaningful, to really ask, how are you going? I want to listen. I want to hear. Is there anything I can do? And so this year, it's really about asking people to go um, to go to that next level. Yeah, it's uh, because that's often, you know, in the Australian vernacular, and particularly for men, are you okay? Yeah, fine. <laughs> it's a throwaway line. Yep. And, uh, yep. and I've also experienced where asking, are you really okay, make, makes a real difference. It just makes people sit back a bit and, and really mm. consider how things are going, which I think is um, really good. Exactly. We're really hoping that, um, that that with this call to action, that people just pause a moment and consider why am I asking and how am I asking? So am I really asking for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. Am I, you know, have I noticed something? Am I doing it respectfully? Because, of course, people might not be ready to open up to you, particularly if mm -hmm. there's not trust, mm -hmm. um, which is what we're always, um, always hearing is that if there's not trust, then you're not going to get that honest answer. So do ask it authentically and then take that time to really consider how am I going to ask this question? Where is that person going to feel safe and comfortable if perhaps this is going to be the first time that they actually say, you know what? No, I'm not. Mm. And they might just want you to listen. Sometimes mm. that's all that's all that's needed. Um, but sometimes they might need some extra support. So where are they going to feel safe and comfortable? How can you best support them? As Gavin Larkin um, said, didn't he? It's just it's a time to think about someone else other than yourself. Mm. And so true. And you've also just launched today um, 
the, the Indigenous uh, initiative called Stronger Together. Can you tell us a bit about that as well? Yes, um, Stronger Together is our message for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. We know that language plays such an important part of social and emotional well-being um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. And so we've been encouraged by lots of people in community who, who let us know how they say, are you okay, in their way. So we're asking them to consider how they ask their mob, are you okay? Lots of different examples, lots of different words and, and gestures used. And so what we're trying to do is show that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be those letters. It's about how do you connect with your loved ones in your way? And then that's going to lead to more projects around translation and to lots of different languages. And we're really excited that we can bring to life um, how people how people are connecting and how they stay connected. Mm. Um, that's always always our goal. So really excited to see what comes back. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Have you ever been through a crisis, either business or personal, that was really tough for you, really challenging? I would say certainly the last year has been has has been a challenge because I'm away from my family. Mm. So I'm definitely, um, you know, aside from from being a leader at a time, you know, during the pandemic, there is certainly um, certainly been some more wobbles for me than I ever had in my um, in my life before. Mm. Um, my I'm very close to my mum, my dad and my sister and they're in the UK and quite often we spend a lot of quality time together every year because they get to come over um, and spend time with me. So um, I'm certainly struggling with that. But putting that to one side, um, I was trying to reflect on a, um, on a time where I didn't handle a conversation very well with someone in my team and that was before my um, my time at Lifeline and I've really reflected on um, what I didn't do well and what I could have done better. Um, so it wasn't a tough time for me, but in terms of my role, are you okay? I think it's important to share with people that, you know, I got it wrong and you can get it wrong, but it's about thinking about what can you do if that situation ever comes up again. Someone was very um, distressed and I just didn't have the tools in my back pocket to to understand what was happening and to know how best to support them. And the error I made was that I didn't ask them what mm. they needed. I mm. took them to a busy cafe and they were so anxious and so um, and so much going on in their mind. A busy cafe was absolutely the worst place I could have taken them. They actually just wanted to walk yeah. in a quiet spot um, mm. and a number of other things came up that I, that I could have done better. But I think that when we all go through challenging times, it's, you know, how did I handle that and, and what can I do better next time? Yeah. And we live and learn, don't we? You know, it's part of life is uh, growing with experiences mm -hmm. and learning with what doesn't work as well as what does work. It's just uh, Absolutely. the way things go. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, swimming and walking are uh, really important to you and, and I guess uh, travel and travel back to the UK and that sort of things. Do you ever have any other hobbies or activities that you help you be really present? Be an auntie. 
So I don't have children. <laughs> I have um, uh, my partner and I have chosen not to have children, but I absolutely love the role of auntie. So that, gosh, doesn't that just demand that you have to be present when there are small children around? So my niece is now 11 and seven-year-old twins, boy and girl. And I have them, um, I have them uh, most weekends to spend time with because my partner is a FIFO worker um, mm. in Papua New Guinea as he's his brother. So mm. their dad is also away a lot so my sister-in-law and I um, really enjoy spending um, time um, and then of course when the dad and uncle comes home they take over and it's their time but I think being present with them I'm really seeing my niece really growing up and really interested in hearing what she's learning at school in terms of empathy mm. and friendship and support and that it's okay not to be okay. Didn't have anything like that <laughs> when I was growing up. So I'm just, I'm like a little a sponge at the moment with her. Yeah, yeah. And I know also from a personal level, um, you know, your partner Jarvis, right, was um, overseas in, in Papua New Guinea and couldn't get back for how long? How long was he over there? before? Four he could get- wow. Yeah, wow. he missed the whole thing. He wow. went the week before COVID hit and he came back in, in the first week of July and I picked him up from the airport and he said, oh, everything seems fine. I said, yes, that's because you've missed everything. He, he was on a site in the jungle in Papua New Guinea and literally missed everything. Because <laughs> <laughs> that must have made it tough as well, having him away um, during that period of time. Yeah. That wouldn't have made things easily. Mm. No, particularly, you know, as I'm se- I was separated, you know, obviously still separated from family. So, yeah, that was just another layer, I think, to the separation. But we've been together 10 years and he, he has always worked away. And so I always um, I always say to people, look, it's just about communication with relationships. We have had to learn how mm-hmm. to communicate, how to be angry, how to be frustrated, how mm-hmm. to how to um, be sad on the phone and on FaceTime with each other. And it's um, we learned very quickly that by not being honest and open about how you're feeling doesn't work. Mm. So, mm. Um, yeah, certainly, I, I certainly um, can empathise with them, um, with, with those, with FIFO relationships. Yeah, definitely. So it's been wonderful to catch up today, Catherine. And I, but I'd just be interested on your thoughts about this. If you could, um, knowing what you know now, and you could go back to your 20-year-old self and give your 20-year-old self advice, what would you say to that person? I would say I'd say keep on being a people person because it will go far. You don't think that it's – at the time, I didn't see it as a skill. I didn't see that relationship building was a skill. I was so focused on other sorts of, um, you know, of performance-driven and management-driven skills so I'd say probably worry less about what people think of you and really gravitate to 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 how you're building and enhancing these relationships because um, it's valuable. Very much so. A great way to finish because a conversation could change a life. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. It does and it can. <laughs> great catching up, Catherine. Thanks for being part of the Caring CEO. Thank you, Graham. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've learned something new and heard some practical tips you can try with your team. If you enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate us, it helps other people to find us. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing details about our scalable WeCare mental health training programs, please visit us at factorc.com.au. 
Our goal for these programs is to make them accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a CEO that you would like us to interview, please email details to support at factorc.com.au. Please subscribe by clicking the button below. We really would love to have you as part of the care movement. Thanks for joining us. 